So rowing is the definition of a team sport. I'm Alex Thomas, I'm a junior at the University of Scranton and a member of the men's crew team. The individual glory is gone the day you try out for this team. No one really has a free ride, it's really a commitment. You're here for a reason. Boats are divided up into two, four, or eight person boats and then the four and eight person have a coxswain in them that steers them. The rowers actually have no clue where they're going because they're facing backwards, so all the trust is on that person to point us in the right direction. We're all working toward the same goal of propelling the boat through the water the best way we can. I would say the feeling of everyone being in sync with each other is a euphoric feeling because you really just feel like you're part of a machine, you're part of a team that's all working together towards the same goal. It feels like a work of art. You can't really tell when the, when the stroke's being taken and when it's not, just kind of gliding along. When it's not, you could definitely tell it's called a check and it's a jerking motion where get a lot of lower back pain because you're being thrown backwards like whiplash. That feeling is very unsettling. It's very frustrating too because you might be the problem but you're still putting that effort in. You might not know that you're the problem in it but you could still feel that something's not right with it. It's not just working harder, it's working smarter. Learning from your mistakes, different motions that you can improve, different speeds that you can roll up on and really listening to constructive criticism. Every single person in this boat matters. We all have a job, we all have a duty to serve. If seven of the eight people show up, that's great, but you're not rowing that morning. Rowing in a sport really comes down to personal commitment. You're the one setting the alarm the night before to wake up at five in the morning to get all your things ready the night before because you know those other people are doing the same thing. You know the person in front of you is willing to give everything that they have to get to that finish line before your opponent does. So you're doing it for yourself, but you're also doing it for the benefit of the team itself. You're putting in the hours, you're going to practice, and you're doing it for yourself and for the guy in front and back of you. It's humbled me in a way. It knocked my pride down, really taught me it's, it's all about others. You know, it's not about myself. I think the most important thing someone can do in this life is to humble themselves and say, hey, it's not all about me. Let's see what I can do for that person over there. This sport in general has taught me just obedience and dedication, teamwork. Everyone here is doing work. We're not passengers. No one gets a free ride in the boat. You know, we're all here giving it our all. So anybody been on a rowing team? Didn't have anybody in first service. No, nobody in a rowing team around here. Uh, it's a pretty cool picture, and I love that uh, video, and I love the way that that picture is what the church is supposed to be about. Uh, the image of all of us working together, each person knowing their part, each person being involved in their part, and that when, it all, when they all work together, it's a very beautiful, very picturesque thing that takes place. And that's true really in any team. When a team is working together, when each person knows what their part is, they know what their role is, and they execute that together, um, it's a very beautiful thing to observe. One of our values here at CCC is purposeful serving. Purposeful serving. And this is a value that reminds us that everyone is important and that everyone has a unique and important place uh, to serve. God talks about this in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 10. He begins by saying this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. You know, we sang earlier about you know, what God saves us from, from guilt and shame and, and death and separation eternally from God. We're saved from all of those things. And we receive this amazing gift um, that's not from ourselves. It's a gift of God, and that gift is salvation. Um, and then he goes on in verse 10 to talk about why we are saved. 
It says, we are God's handiwork, creating Christ Jesus to do good works. We're not just saved so that we spend eternity in heaven. We're saved for a purpose. And the purpose that we're saved for is so that uh, we would have a chance to serve. We would have a chance to be used. And we've had a chance to live out the purpose that God has for us in our lives. One of the things we believe very firmly is that God has a purpose for each person's life. He has a purpose. And he has a purpose for your life. And he has a plan for your life. And the truth is, as I talk to people, one of the things I discover is that everybody wants to be a part of something that matters. Everybody wants to be a part of something that matters. Nobody wants to invest their life, spend their life, spend their time and energy in something that's not going to matter. We all want to be a part of something that matters. And we want to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. But the challenge is that we can easily drift away from those things. We can easily drift uh, from being uh, givers to being takers. We can easily drift from being contributors to being consumers. We can easily drift from being passengers to being crew members. And if you're a follower of Jesus or you want to follow Jesus, you want to do what he says, uh, this is what he says um, in Matthew 20, verse 28, what was said of him. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. There's two key words there. Would you say those with me? Jesus came not to be served, but to what? Serve. And to do what? Give. Serve and give. Serve and give. Two very important examples of Jesus. And that's what our lives should be about. Our lives should be about serving and giving. And so the question begs to be asked that we want to try to tackle this morning. Why serve? Why serve? Why be involved in serving? Well, I think to answer this question, we have to view the church differently. We have to view the church differently. We have to shift our perspective from CCC being the church I attend to me recognizing, each one of us recognizing that we are the church. We are the church. The Bible just makes this assumption. The Bible doesn't say, go attend church. The Bible does talk about uh, gathering together, about teaching, about growing in your faith. The Bible does talk about that. But it just assumes that because you are a follower of Jesus, because you are a part of the church, that you're going to do what the church does. Let me ask you this question. Anybody have to tell their lungs to breathe this morning? Anybody have to tell your lungs to breathe? No, nobody had to tell your lungs. Anybody have to tell your legs to get up and walk this morning? A couple of you did. Okay, a couple of honest confessions there. You know, maybe they're pretty tired from, I don't know, whatever. I don't know what you did all weekend, Micah, but, you know. Um, but, you know, anybody have to tell your hand to do this when it was time to eat? Nobody has to tell. Why? Because the body does the things that the body knows to do. It's what the body is designed to do. Now, if someone can't do those things, if someone can't walk, can't breathe, can't eat, we know they've had what? They've had some type of traumatic brain injury, likely, that has in, uh, made them incapable of doing the things that they are designed to do, right? But we also know that the brain can retrain itself to do those things again. And so part of the shift as we talk about this whole idea of serving is for us not to just see this as something that I have to do, but to see this as part of God's design in you part of God's design in you. The, the point is that we want, you, we want this to be sim, something more, we want church to be something more than a two-hour ritual that you do every week. And I believe that to shift that perspective, God is, when you do that, God is something incredible for you. 
We talk about our purpose around here all the time at CCC. Let's say it together, would you? Um, love God fully. Love others deeply. Let's, let's try that again. You guys are kind of not quite verbal this morning. So it's later in the morning. There should be plenty of coffee in the system. So let's say it together. Love God fully. Love others deeply. And one of the things we believe is we believe that as you come to know God's incredible, sacrificial, unending love for you, and what that love sent him to do in giving up his one and only son so that you could have a relationship with him forever, that you're going to pour this love out into the lives of other people. If you're being consumed with God's love and you are being loved deeply by other people, you will not just show up, but you will say, how can I pour this love out into the lives of other people? And the goal of this series is to move you from being a passenger to a crew member from a passenger to a crew member. If you're a guest here this morning, we're honored that you're here with us, and, and, and we don't want something from you. My hope and prayer for you this morning is you get an inside glimpse into what motivates people to serve. An inside glimpse into what motivates people to serve. There's a lot of reasons. You may have heard a lot of things, but we're going to talk about what motivates people here at CCC to serve. If you have your Bible with you this morning, you can follow along your phone or tablet or grab the Bible in front of you. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and that's page 842 on the Bible that's in front of you this morning. Page 842. So if you turn to the, to the Gospel of Luke, kind of the middle of the story of Jesus when he's here on the earth, I want to take a look at some of this, uh, this story and some of the things that happen. Luke chapter 10, page 842. So verse 1 says this, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was going. Now you might be wondering, who are the 72? I heard of the 12, but where did the 72 come from? Well, a few chapters earlier, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus was up all night and he was praying, he was asking God who, should, who he should ask to come and follow. And then in verse 13 it says, When the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated as apostles. You see, what Jesus did is he invited a group to follow him. That's what the word disciple means. It's an imitator, to follow, to imitate. And he invited this large group of people to come and follow him. Out of that large group, he chose the 12 and you might recognize some of the names, Peter, James, John, Andrew, you know, Matthew. Those are the 12 that he said they're going to be apostles. They're going to be sent ones. They're going to have a designated task and responsibility to go out. And so he gathers these individuals um, and back to chapter 10, and, and this is what he tells them, the 72. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, we're just about at harvest time. You know, farmers are getting their crops in. Uh, you're starting to see the corn slowly being uh, cut down. Uh, but when harvest time came in that day, there were no big John Deere combines, you know, that are nicer than your office at work, you know, that have a GPS guidance system inside of them, you know, and air conditioning inside of them, you know. There weren't any of those things to make it happen. Um, you had to find help to get the harvest in. And if you didn't find help, your harvest was going to lay on the ground. And what was going to happen? It was going to what? Somebody. It was going to what? Rot. It was going to rot. Yeah, it was going to spoil. It was going to rot. If you didn't find harvesters to help you, you're going to lose your whole crop. 
And what Jesus was saying is he was saying to this group of 72, he said, I've been pouring into you, I've been investing into you, I've been speaking into your lives, I've been teaching, I've been giving you a glimpse of the kingdom of God for these last two years. Now it's time to go and pray for other individuals that can go with us to reap the harvest that was out there. And that's what Jesus' pattern was. He would walk with them, he would talk with them, he would teach them, he would pour into their lives. And he did this over a period of two years. He would teach them about what it means to be great. He would teach them about what does it mean to pray. He would teach them all of these things. And now he says to them, now it's time for you to go and for you to pour into the lives of others. He would say, you've been following me. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. He goes on in verse 3 to give them a pregame speech as they're getting ready to head out. He says, go, I'm sending you out like lamb among wolves. That's a pretty motivating pregame speech, isn't it? I don't see any, I haven't seen any uh, videos on YouTube with coaches posting that one lately, you know. Um, lambs to wolves, not kind of the thing, not the rallying cry you want to send out. What was Jesus saying? I think it was Jesus was saying, he was just being honest with them. He said, when you go out, when you pour yourself out in the lives of others, it's going to have a cost. It's going to cost. It costs you time. You'll have to sacrifice energy. Uh, you'll have to give up some things to invest in others. But the truth is, I think we all know this, that anything worthwhile investing ourselves into is going to cost us something. If you invest in a relationship, you're going to have to give something up, right? If you invest in a hobby or a career or a job or, or, or something that you, someone invites, you're going to have to give something up to be able to do that. And so the truth is we know this is true, but sometimes we think that serving should not require those things of us. So he sends out the 72, and he says, I want you to go out, and I want you to pour yourselves out into the lives of other people. That's what he sends them out to do. And what happens uh, when they come back? It says in verse 17, uh, they came back, and it says they returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They came back with great joy. And it kind of pictures someone who's tried something for the first time, not sure what it's going to be like, and the experience is beyond what they could imagine. I remember the first time uh, my son and I went snowboarding, and uh, we'd never done it before. I had skied quite a bit. He had skied a little bit, and uh, you know, I forced him to, to make someone show us how to do it. He, of course, didn't need to be shown how to do it. He just knew how to do it. You know, I, on the other hand, did not know how to do it, and... Uh, so we, we kind of figured out how to do it, and we went down some of the smaller slopes, and I remember when we got up to that first big slope, and I was standing there right on the edge, and he, of course, went right past me. He said, come on, Dad, and took off, you know, and I'm standing there and never done this before, always had one thing on each foot, never both feet strapped in, you know, and uh, when, you, when you tuck over that first edge, you know, there's a fear associated with this, but when you actually have it happen and experience, there's a rush that is just amazing, amazing. And it's like that. Anytime we try something new, anytime we step into something we've never done before, and we come back and we're just amazed at the experience. And that's what was happening to these 72 individuals. They came back and they said, you are not going to believe what happened. They said, even the demons, the forces of darkness, they, they stopped in their tracks when we did what you did, when we acted in the ways that you act, when we shared the message of hope and the message of the kingdom and the message of Jesus. That was their response. You know, there's no place in the Bible where individuals listen to Jesus' teaching and they respond with joy. 
There's no place in the Bible where individuals experience Jesus' miracles and then respond with joy. They went out to spread the message, to do what had been done to them, to pour out what had been poured out of them, and they returned with incredible joy. Jesus goes on to say at the end of this section in Luke 20, 10, 23 to 24, he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. What Jesus was saying is that people had been waiting for centuries to get a glimpse of the Messiah, to know the Messiah, to meet the Messiah, to experience the Messiah. And they were blessed to have gotten a glimpse. They were blessed to have Jesus pouring into their lives. And when you pour into the lives of others, it's a pursuit like no other pursuit that will compare. You know, it's interesting, after the first service of me talking about this, I had a couple people that I was talking to up front, and they said, John, that is so true. That is so true. I walk away from serving more filled up than I can ever imagine. I asked some of our volunteers here at CCC. We have over 180 volunteers here at CCC. And I asked some of them, what does serving mean to you? And here's what a few of them said. Krista said, serving at CCC is meaningful to me for several reasons. It's been a great way to feel part of what God's doing. It's allowed me to get to know and develop relationships and given me what? Joy to serve others. Yet at the same time, learn more about myself and who God has made me to be. Mariah said, I was always the person receiving, and it's nice to be able to give back and to help kids grow in their knowledge of God. Ben said, knowing that I've been an encouragement to others and being a part of seeing how God works and moved in their lives of those I'm doing life with. And lastly, Ken says, it's beautiful when you look out from the stage and see people in the congregation singing passionately, sometimes with tears in their eyes and hand held, hands held high. Their worship is genuine and raw. It's amazing feeling to know that you are helping to lead that individual before the throne of Christ with a heart ready for worship. And lastly, Brittany says, there's a certain satisfaction in serving others, but serving makes me feel like I'm a, I'm a part of our church community, not just an attender. And that's really the pattern that flows all throughout the scriptures, that flows all throughout the Bible, that Jesus repeated over and over again. In Matthew 28, he said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And he said, I want you to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Jesus says, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out to the nations. What I've poured into you, I want you now to pour into the lives of others. And shortly after this event, which was said right before Jesus left the earth, that's what happened. In Acts chapter 2, verse 40 and 41, with many other works, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. This is Peter. He had been with that group of seven, did the 12, and then the 72, and a few others. It was actually 120. They had been in a room after Jesus died praying, what comes next? What do we do? What do we do? And the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them, and Peter went out and preached. And it says there at the end of this passage that 3,000 people were added to their number. 3,000 people chose to say, I'm going to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's the one that I'm going to follow. And then in verse 42, what does it say happened? It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. They devoted themselves to start to pour into the lives of other people. So what Jesus had poured into them, they now started to pour into the lives of other people. They spent time teaching them. They spent time breaking bread, and that could have been either celebrating the Lord's uh, the death, uh, the death of, the, of Christ through communion, or it could have been actually physically feeding them. 
through teaching. Uh, excuse me, I already said that. And through prayer. And later in the book of Acts, you meet this guy named Paul. Paul is a fascinating story. The first half of Paul's life, he's all about hunting and persecuting Christians, tracking them down. And God literally has to stop him in his tracks and turn him around, and God saves him. And instead of hating Christians, he now begins to follow Jesus. But people didn't believe that Paul's conversion was for real. They were suspicious. Um, Would you trust someone who just a day earlier or a week earlier or a month earlier was trying to find you to kill you and now he wants to sit at your dinner table and learn about Jesus? They were skeptical. And it required a man by the name of Ananias and then another name, uh, another man by the name of Barnabas and then Silas and then eventually John Mark. And they saw the potential in Paul and then they began to pour into Paul. They began to give him instruction. He went away and spent some time away learning from Jesus himself Um, But these individuals poured into Paul's life um, over a period of time. And what was now poured into them, they poured into Paul's life. And Paul then began this ministry of pouring into the lives of others. Out of the 27 books in the New Testament, 13 of them were written by Paul, written to faith communities like ours, saying to them, this is what following Jesus looks like. This is what God's love is all about. This is what he's done for you. And now this is what God invites you to go and live out. In one of those books, we meet a guy by the name of Timothy, a young guy, uh, maybe still living in his parents' basement, not quite sure, Um, but uh, he was at home, and uh, Paul spent some time with him. Paul spent two years with him, actually. And then Paul says to Timothy, now, Timothy, it's your turn. I poured into your life, now it's your turn to pour out into the lives of others. And he says it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, you then, my son, be strong in the grace of that is in Christ Jesus. It's a very family, uh, familial feel to it, my son. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of witnesses, I want you to entrust them to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others also. And that's really been the pattern since Jesus was here. For him to teach others, for him to pour into the lives of others, and for them to pour into the lives of others, and for them to pour into the lives of others. And you know, the truth is, that's exactly what happens here every single week. There are dozens and dozens of people who are pouring themselves out into the lives of others because someone poured into their lives. You know, there's someone in the parking lot smiling and greeting you on Sunday morning. There's someone uh, at the door welcoming you. There's someone who's made coffee because they're expecting you to be here. Uh, There's someone ready to take a crying baby um, or a three-year-old that doesn't want to let go of your leg, you know, uh, or an elementary school kid that uh, is excited to be with his friends and learn more about Jesus. Um, That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And what are they doing? Are they just putting in their time? Um, Are they just doing what's expected? No, no. They're pouring out encouragement. They're pouring out warmth. They're pouring out love. They're pouring out God's truth. They're saying, I am going to pour out because of what was poured into my life. So the question for you is, who are you pouring into? Who are you pouring into? Say, why is that important, John? Do do I have to do that? Can't some people do that or are better at it than others? The reason you have to do that is because somebody needs you. Somebody needs you. It's not because the church needs you. We're not trying to get volunteers. We have a great team of volunteers here. Um, But because someone needs you. Someone needs you to pour into their lives just like was poured into your life. 
You know, there might be a little girl who was brought by her grandmother who just needs someone to pour into her life that morning because of the difficult home life that she comes from. Might be a single mom with three kids in tow who she just wants someone else to tell her kids that they're loved and that they're valued and that they matter and introduce them to Jesus and partner with her as she's trying to help her kids on her own come to know who Jesus is. Might be a middle school boy who just needs someone to ask him every week, how's he doing, and, and get a gruff, you know, gr- a gruff vine you know, from him. But let that kid know that someone loves him and cares about him and wants to enter the journey in, in his life for him to become the man that God's designed him to be. The truth is, um, you need this. You need this. The truth is, I need this. The truth is, other people need this. Because what happens is, as we pour into the lives of others, if we pour into the lives of others, and then we don't pour ourselves out, something happens. Because you can only take in so much. Because if you keep taking in, and keep taking in, and keep taking in, what's going to happen? Eventually, you can't take in anymore. You can't take in anymore. And what happens when that takes place is you will become critical and self-righteous, what the Bible calls a Pharisee. You will be filled up with truth. You will be filled up with being what's being right, but you will not be pouring yourself out into another person's life. You have to pour yourself out for God to have space to pour into your life. You cannot become the person that God has designed you to be unless you are pouring your life out. As we wrap up this morning, I want to talk to a couple of groups of people. The first is I want to talk to those who are already serving. Those who are already serving. If you serve somewhere here at CCC, would you stand this morning if you're in the room? If you serve someone here at CCC, would you stand? Would you just thank all these people? Thank you so much for serving. Thank you all. Thank you all. You can have a seat. Um, Because of you, CCC is making an impact in this community. Because of you, people's lives are being changed. Because of you, stories of redemption and hope are being written. Um, And I just want to say to you, thank you for paying the price to serve. Um, We often talk about serving having a cost. But I don't know how often you hear from me and from other leaders, thank you for paying that price. And my hope and prayer is that you serve, um, just like Krista said, that you will discover and experience incredible joy. Um, Some of you are serving, and you love what you're doing, and you'd like to do more. Uh, God's given you space and time in your life, and he's given you a a heart to step up and do more. And so maybe for some of you, there's an opportunity for you to lead. Uh, You've been a participant, you've been pouring out on the lives of others, and God says, here's an opportunity for you to step up and do more. And so if that's where your heart is, if you have an interest in that, please let us know. Please talk to us about that. Some of you are feeling pretty empty right now pretty empty. You're like, John, my, my, my jar, it's, there's not much. I, I don't have anything to pour. I, I don't have anything to pour. And um, as I've talked to people about this, usually this comes from a couple of reasons. A couple of reasons. One is you might have been uh, rowing the boat and you're the only one rowing the boat. You're the only one rowing the boat. Did you hear on the video, what did he say if seven rowers show up and one guy doesn't, what happens that morning? Do they row or do they not row? They don't row, right? They don't row. The problem is the church doesn't take that philosophy. 
sadly. And we're guilty of this as well. Because in the church, if you're the only one that shows up to row and other people don't, church just says, grab some more oars. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And, and you keep doing it and, and you keep pouring and you keep pouring and no one's pouring in you and eventually you just get worn out. And so maybe that's where you're at today. The other reason that um, uh, people stop pouring is um, we call it a bad fit. We call it a bad fit. Uh, Anybody here ever uh, broken a finger, a hand, a wrist, a thumb, and had to write with the opposite hand? A, a couple of you have had to do something like that. Um, can all of you write with your, with your opposite hand, your opposite dominant hand? Can you write? I didn't say was it legible. I said, are you able to write? Okay, we can all write with the opposite hand, can't we? Now, is it legible? No, it's not legible. <laughs> and what happens if you write with the opposite hand for a period of time? Your hand starts to get what? It gets tired, right? gets worn out and you just can't do it let alone it's not even legible and so sometimes we talk about it here at ccc you might uh, have been pouring out and you've just not been pouring in the right place in a way that you're getting filled up it's a great fit for you next week roddy is going to be speaking on this subject and he's going to be talking about how to help you find the right fit because we believe that every person that's a christ follower that is here at ccc there is a place for you to fit there's a part that God has for you to play that only you can play. No one else can play that part. And when you play that part, when we all play that part, God does amazing things here in and through us. And lastly, there's those of you that aren't serving. And my challenge for you and my reminder to you is it will cost you something. I'm not going to do a bait and switch and tell you it's going to be great and glorious, wonderful, and it'll be effortless. No, it'll cost you something. Um, but someone needs you someone needs you um, and it's going to take some time um, and maybe now is the time sometimes we talk about now is the time to get out of the stands who's in the stands the players or the spectators who's in the stands the players or the spectators spectators right time to get out of the stands get on the sideline and say i'm ready i don't know where but i'm ready I'm ready to get in the game. And so these next four weeks, we're going to be encouraging you towards that. We're going to be praying about that with you. We're going to be talking about that with you. Um, our ushers have something that they're going to hand out to you that's going to help us get started in this journey. Uh, so they're going to give out to you um, a card that looks like this. Mine's a little wrinkled. It says serve. And um, they're, going to pass, they're going to give a stack of them to each row, just pass them down to the end of your row and just leave the extras on the floor. And they'll come through and pick those up. But I want to just explain this to you. This has the verse that we talked about earlier, which is, for just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And I want to just walk down through the different areas of ministry here at CCC, and if you are not serving, for you to consider stepping up and serving in some way. So the first area is our first impressions. Now, first impressions, it, it is what it says. Um, and these are the people that um, make the first impression on individuals who come to our uh, come to our service. This group is more important than what I have to say and what I do on Sunday mornings. People make their decision about whether they're going to come back in the first two or three minutes of visiting someplace. 
And so the first impressions people are critical in the life of our church. Now, first impressions people, um, these are morning people. These are the people that love the sunrise. They love before the sunrise. How many of you love the sunrise in the morning and are morning people? You know, Put your hands up proudly. Put those hands up high. You know, These are the people that we want as part of our first impressions. If you don't like morning, we don't want you serving in first impressions. Okay? Grumpy people are not good in first impressions, you know, and you might be grumpy in the morning. That's okay. You're great in the afternoon and evening, you know. Um, but that's part of just knowing who you are, just knowing what you're good at and knowing there's a place for you. Our worship team, uh, you see a group of them up here on Sunday morning, uh, incredibly gifted musicians. Another part of our worship team is our tech team. They hide behind the wall. You can see the tops of their heads. That's it. But there are people back there, you know. Um, they uh, use technology to help us worship in a meaningful way. And so if you have an interest in worship, you have some skills and ability or some technical skills, that might be a place for you to check out. A new area is our care team. Uh, our care team comes alongside of people that are going through difficult times and uh, walks through life with them. Um, if you are someone whose heart just aches for people who are going through tough times, um, you might want to consider being a part of our care team that does that. Uh, another newer team is our outreach team. Our outreach team is a group of people that are looking for um, ways to love and serve our community. They're always looking outside the walls. They're saying, what can we do? How can we serve? How can we get our small groups to do this? Hey, what about that Denver house thing? Can we do that? You know, they're always thinking about ways that we can be involved outside of the walls of our church. On the back side is our family ministry, one of our biggest areas of ministry. They do an awesome job um, loving and serving and teaching our kids um, from our infants all the way through, uh, you can see there, through C3. Uh, there's some, if you love working with kids or students, this might be an opportunity for you to consider uh, serving. You can also see there's some technical environmental design. So if you like making things look good, even if you're not a kid person, um, this might be a place for you to serve as well. Uh, the next is our small groups. Uh, small groups really are the setting that we use to help encourage people to grow in their faith. Uh, whether it's men, women, young adults, whether it's with your finances, emotional health, um, and so if you just like to help encourage people in their faith journey, um, that might be an area for you to consider. And then lastly is operations. Um, our operations team, they are behind the scenes. If you'd like to be behind the scenes, uh, if you're good with your hands, um, this might be a place for you. Uh, in our office, we uh, have needs for individuals to do data entry. You can see cleaning, mowing, building, repairing. Um, if you like working behind the scenes with either individually or with a group, that might be the best place for you to serve. And so those are some opportunities, and we would encourage you this morning, and we're going to be talking about this over the next few weeks. We'd encourage you to take this. If you're not sure, take it home. Leave it sit there on the counter. Look at it every day. Say, what do I have an interest in? Next week, Roddy's going to talk with you about what are you really good at? What has God designed you to do? Um, if you know what that is, and you know where you're interested, just check one or two of those boxes and drop it in the bucket. And... Um, that doesn't sign you up for the next 15 years. It just says, I'm interested. I'd like to talk to someone and learn a little bit more. And so when we ask the question, why serve? When we ask the question, why serve? The reason that we serve is because someone has poured into our life, and now it's your chance to pour into someone else's life. Now it's your chance to pour into someone else's life. As we close this morning, I want to just invite you to uh, bow your heads with me. Um, I want to give you a moment 
talk to God about where you might be as it relates to serving. Uh, If you love where you're serving, maybe you just can thank God and say, God, I'm, I'm just really grateful. I, I love where I serve. And um, you can just thank him for the opportunity to do that. Maybe you're not sure where. You're not sure what you could do well. And for you, you're just saying, God, I'm, I'm just not sure. Uh, can you point something out to me? Help me know what it is I really love. Maybe you're just weary this morning. Maybe we haven't coached you well and it's a bad fit here. Maybe you've come from somewhere else and you're just kind of worn out. And, and we would just ask God to heal your heart, to fill you back up so that your heart is full that you can pour out into the lives of others. God, I thank you so much for what you have done for us. Um, How you have poured out into our lives more than we can ever imagine. And God, we get this little glimpse of called serving of pouring into the lives of others. And I know certainly for me, God, and I hear this from others often, it brings incredible, incredible joy. So God, help us to continue to live as the people we are, if we're followers of you, as the church, to live the way you've created us to live and to pour ourselves as we've been poured into.